welcome back to Educate Ebony. Did we all enjoy last episode with Andrew Cook from Wildheart? I know I did. I also made the joke on their socials that I've only got two members left to get on the podcast and I will have interviewed the whole band, which is a good time. So maybe, maybe next season. I don't know. Anyway, let's recap the album. Andrew chose the Parallax 2 future sequence by Between the Buried and Me. And he said to listen to it either going for a long drive or going to the gym. And it just turns out I was heading up to the sunny coast all the way up to Malula Bar with my boyfriend Jordan and we chucked on in the car and had a listen. It was insane. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to sound harsh, but I don't think it's an album for me. And I'm just saying that because I think the juxtapositions were a bit too much for my ears. You know, it's really upbeat and happy and then there are the really heavy screams and it's and it's not and it's you have to listen to it to understand, but it's very full on. I think I even thought that, you know, I like the clean vocals. I really, really liked them. I thought they were great. I think I would enjoy it more if there were no harsh vocals. I think I even wrote a note down as well. I think I would like it better if there were no vocals at all. If I couldn't have cleans, I'd probably rather there be none. But yeah, it was just, it was an assault on the senses. I will say though, the song Lay Your Ghost to Rest is mad crazy. Ah, oh, I don't know how many sections are in that song. It's so many. It's honestly a journey. I think that's probably the one where I literally wrote down, this is insane in a good way and an overwhelming way. But yeah, you should definitely give it a go. If you do listen to it and you have some thoughts, let me know. Hit me up on my socials at Educate Ebony, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I would love to hear your opinions as well. I think this was a tough one for me, but you know, these are of course first impressions. Might take me a while to get into it. I don't know. So big thanks to Andrew for coming on the podcast. That was a great chat. And let's get to this episode. For this episode of Educate Ebony, the prog edition, I'd love to introduce John T. Trickvitsky. John T and I met way back in the day when we both actually did an internship for the AU Review, which at the time was run under Sosefina Fumoli. She was also a guest in season one. And then since then, went to a bunch of gigs to watch and review his then prog band Cobra. And he now has multiple projects on the go, studying a master's of music, about to start in Spain. So John T, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad that you hit me up to talk about <laughs> Prague because it's something I love to do. Yes, love to hear. It's great to have you. I do remember really loving watching you play. You were a drummer. I assume you're, are you a multi-instrumentalist as well? Not particularly, no. I'm, I'm a drummer primarily and then I'm a very rudimentary player of other instruments. <laughs> That's okay. Well, can you tell us about uh, your journey with prog, like where you started and how that influenced your musical projects now? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, I was uh, going on a journey through, you know, hard rock and metal and stuff like that. And then I kind of hit an intersection where I discovered like the more progressive side of rock and metal and like really fell in love with that, like pretty instantly. And um, yeah, for definitely a long time was very dedicated to listening to the prog and trying to learn everything that I could from it like from the drumming perspective and maybe a songwriting perspective as well um yeah definitely and I think um I don't know prog and watching you guys as well or watching you especially are you like jazz influenced or is that are you doing some of that now with your current stuff 
Yeah, well, I think that it's a kind of a feedback loop in the way that like prog, especially prog rock and even prog metal and even metal itself in some ways were all influenced by jazz. And then I myself was influenced by the prog and metal and then now have kind of, yeah, at the moment I'm playing in a, in a jazz fusion band, loosely termed jazz fusion band. We're not purists or anything like that. But yeah, there is like, you know, some... Um, areas where the the wires cross between those worlds and little pieces are borrowed here and there yeah definitely that's so cool well i'm excited to hear what you're going to say so what is the one prog album that i need to hear yeah so the album that i've chosen for this episode is an album called crack the sky by a band called mastodon um, from atlanta georgia in the united states Um, it's their fourth studio album Uh, It was released in 2009 and uh, yeah, when I first heard it, it uh, definitely blew me away and it was uh, one of those albums that really ignited a love for for prog. And I I remember the day that I first heard it because it was also the the day that I um, discovered Mastodon and I, I had decided to listen to like their first four albums like in a row. (laughs) <laughs> so I kind of went through like, you know, almost 10 years of their music in about four hours. Um, so that was a really epic journey. But um, people kind of refer to the album in a similar way to like the Led Zeppelin 4 album, because Crack the Sky was also Mastodon's fourth album. And it was similar, similar in the impact that it had on their career, you know, it was a a big breakthrough album for Mastodon and it's kind of like seen as like one of their magnum opus records. Um, And it's it's a really cool album. So I'm keen to talk more about it. Yeah, cool. So like if you sit down and listen to their first four albums, why did this one stand out? Like it's the four, it's the last one too. Like surely, you know, eyes are a little bit glazed over by then. You're like, oh my God, it's still going. Why this one? Yeah, well, at the time I was younger, I was, you know, (laughs) 15 or so and like very hungry for new music. And I was, you know, learning more about metal and and then prog every day. So it was just something that I like to do was I I would kind of hear about like a new band and hear that they are worth your time. And I would get my hands on on their music. And I used to like listening to the discography, like from start to finish. That was the, the way that I preferred to see the way that the band progress. I mean, I don't do bother with that as much now, um, but at, at the time they have eight albums now, but at the time it was their most recent record. So I guess just knowing that it was like the culmination of uh, their musical journey and what they had been working on, but also it was like um, quite a distinct stylistic kind of development um, for the band where They've always had, you know, that prog element and a lot of progressive playing um, in their music, but the first three albums were much, much heavier. And uh, this fourth record, they really leaned into some of those classic rock and classic prog rock tendencies. And it, it's just one of those albums, like, I think it's a, it's a timeless album. I was listening to a couple of tracks um, in the car on the, on the way home to jump on the podcast. And every, every time I chuck it on, like, it, it just ages gracefully. That's so nice. That's really cool to hear as well. 2009. That's pretty decent. So can you give us some like examples in their progression that you noticed? Like you said specifically like the rock a bit more so, but like was there a song where you were like, 
this is so different from what they've done before. Like, yes. Yeah. Well, the, the main change in, in the songwriting was that, um, and I guess yourself and, and your listeners may have noticed that with a lot of these uh, progressive and technical genres, sometimes it's quite like a, you know, competition to, you know, play the most outrageous and most difficult to play stuff. And their first three albums were, although they also had some, a lot of great songwriting as well, were very much an example of, you know, let's flex our muscles as hard as possible. And this was an album where, um, you know, they've been on the record saying that they really wanted to focus on the songwriting more um, as opposed to just flexing technicality. And so the result of that is um, definitely clear. And there was a lot of, you know, things that they did for the first time as a band um, their drummer, Bran Daler, started singing for the first time, which has now become quite a central part of the band. So singing and drumming at the same time, which is pretty impressive. And they started doing a lot more like um, cleaner vocals and vocal harmonies. And they're, they're all on the record saying that they really upped their game as singers. And that's one of the cool, unique parts uh, about Mastodon as a band is that um, the bassist, Troy Sanders, um, guitarist, lead guitarist, Brent Hines and drummer, Brian Daler, they all sing and they all are kind of lead vocalists. So they lead different songs and sometimes they'll trade choruses and bridges and it creates a really interesting dynamic because they all have very different voices from one another. Mm. And so it just um, yeah, it creates a really cool dynamic for the band. I like that. I do feel like, you know, 10 or so years ago, less internet less social media and everything bands were allowed to progress at their own pace i feel like these days like by your fourth album i guess you know what's going on whereas these days you're expected to know who you are what your sound is whatever else by like your first or second album or even eps so like the fact that they could develop that much on their fourth album i don't know it's just kind of cool like you don't really I mean, sure, you see that nowadays, but everyone's a bit more pissed off about it sometimes, you know? Yeah, and I think these days as well, like a lot a lot of times there can be um, with major label acts, a, a lot of A&R development where they, they will work behind the scenes with their label to develop their sound prior to recording and releasing that first album so that they can have that impact of coming across as a band who absolutely you know knows what their sound is and you know what they stand for sonically I guess but in reference to your earlier question about like other things that made it stand out I think as well working with um, the producer Brendan O'Brien had a massive mark um, on this album as well and he's um, quite a prolific producer he produced two Rage Against the Machine records Um, he's produced a bunch of Pearl Jam records and ACDC records. Um, He's produced for Incubus. Um, He's done some engineering work for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. He's produced My Chemical Romance and quite a lot of other bands as well. So I think, yeah, for them to be able to work with such a prolific and uh, established producer, I, I know from some interviews that I've watched and read that he had quite a big impact on like not only kind of helping them with the arrangements but adding like some extra textures and they kind of they brought in like a session player for like the synthesizers and there's lots of synth textures and 
Brendan suggested that they use a lot of extra percussion. So there's heaps of like shakers and maracas and like interesting little elements and they're they're just so tastefully layered in there. So that was, yeah, really cool part of the record as well. Yeah, it seems like, and I don't know a lot about uh, I guess what a producer does, like obviously a rough idea and everything, but since I'm not in that side of the industry, it's a bit harder to understand. So like, obviously you'd choose a producer who you like the work of and you want to work with them. Is it more so to like uh, push your sound or find other ways of doing the same thing? Or like, what's the main goal when you work with a producer? Well, the number one goal is to record the music so that it can be listened to outside of the live performance. But then I guess the secondary goal or secondary role is that they're able to give like an outside perspective. And because they're not like one of the members or one of the writers who are creating the material, they can look at it objectively and basically make suggestions to improve the quality of the music and whether that comes from some producers will actually intervene in, in the whole arrangement of a song if, if that's what a band is looking for, or sometimes they'll just add suggestions for texture and stuff like that. So I would say, you know, every band's different and a lot of bands are like increasingly involved in their productions and stuff. But I would say like, if you've got like a four piece band and there's drums, bass and guitar, and you're listening to their song or album and there's some, you know, textural noises going on in the background, you can probably bet that the producer had something to do with either suggesting it or getting them to try out hearing how it sounds and just adding some extra bits and bobs to, you know, create that sonic experience that's a bit different from the live show. Right. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. And so obviously Mastodon hadn't worked with this producer before. Okay. Well, when obviously you hear this album, you think it's great. It's amazing. You listen to it, gone a bit of more of a deep dive. When do you think it became important to you was it straight away or was it like years later when you came back to it and you're like oh actually this has like influenced me a lot um it was important for me from the get-go it, it blew me away it blew my mind I'd never heard anything like it it really like you know touched me on like a deep and personal and emotional level I think um and I was you know obviously so impressed by the playing and the arrangements and stuff like that so yeah it's one of those albums that really from the first listen it became one of my all-time classics and although I don't listen to it as often from start to finish as I used to in the past eight years it's definitely one I'll always come back to and give it a spin and especially on long car car rides <laughs> as well it'll get queued up there in the playlist definitely did you take any um, inspiration with your own music oh absolutely like the I mean they say that um, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery and there's a lot of techniques and elements uh, from Crack the Sky and also previous Mastodon stuff that I've tried to incorporate in my playing and writing. I mean, like two of the really in like interesting or engaging parts of the record to me were the fourth track, The Tsar, um, is almost 11 minutes long. And um, the final track, The Last Baron, is about 16 minutes long. So just uh, that was inspiring to me and inspired me to, you know, try and create some really long arrangements as well, as you would have seen <laughs> yeah. um, in the past uh, at some of my gigs and stuff like that. Just knowing that it's possible to do that and you don't necessarily need to have like limits on how long a song can be and, you know, not necessarily having it be 
a 16 minute song of like a verse chorus verse you know mm -hmm. it's like there's like 32 different sections and there's <laughs> lots of dynamic changes and so that was really interesting and then yeah you know like on the more technical side just like some of the time signature stuff just use usage of like less conventional time signatures like um five four and seven four and it even just you know the way of constructing drum fills i was highly influenced by Brian daler's use of triplets and like the way that he will construct a fill you know using using the toms and the kick in different patterns and yeah i mean there's so much that i've definitely been taught by listening to his stuff and yeah trying to emulate it yeah um yeah cool so when you say feel and triplets what does that mean okay so it's like a drum fill like oh, f-i-l-l okay yep, yep yeah and so it's basically you know like the part that is the glue that holds like the beats together where you'll go along the toms and be like and yeah i mean brown daler has a very distinctive uh style for that and it's very creative and interesting and so it's uh was always been cool to hear and it's cool to try and emulate that and uh, incorporate some of those stylistic choices into one's own playing mm, i have to listen out for it i feel like since starting this podcast as well I think that drum, I think I really neglected listening to like the drum section or the drums in any song. Of course, like I heard it and it was there, but I never really paid overly much attention to it until I had to. And I was like, oh, it's very interesting. So is that, would you say something that people overlook sometimes? Like they always focus on the riffs or the time signature or the vocals or whatever else. I think people are going to focus on what's interesting to them and like I'll only be able to comment from a biased perspective um, <laughs> as a drummer myself but I mean like I think as like an active music listener it can be really good to deconstruct your biases and that's something that like um, studying music at uni really helped me because yeah I came to the realization that for years and years I was really only fixating on the on the drums because that would be the thing where I'd be like okay I need to analyze this I want to work out what they're doing and I want to try and recreate it but actually like developing uh, my ear um, to you know listen to the other elements and think about you know the chord progression and think about the melodies and the harmonies and how they're interacting and then also those textural elements um, on the production side thinking about like you know flanger uh delay different effects reverb filters and you know how they're being used how they're being automated that kind of stuff is also really cool as well so yeah i think yeah the short answer is that people <laughs> are always gonna focus on what interests them the most and i think it's it's totally okay for people to you know have their interest and be proud of them it's like if you're a if you're a bass person all you care about is the bass like all, all the power to you you know <laughs> very true but definitely listen to the whole thing of course well why do you think it stands up in 2022 and in future years I know that I feel like prog is timeless I don't know why I can't articulate that but I feel like it is but can maybe you can explain it a bit more than I can well, we'll see how it goes in terms of um, the timelessness because it's, you know, it's only been um, just over 10 years that it's been out and it seems to still hold up now. But 
Um, while Prog can be timeless in the sense that, um, you know, the new boundaries that people push, people are always going to appreciate that. But say like when I was like a similar age and like delving into more prog and being like who, who influenced Mastodon and then looking at bands like Rush, you know, at that same age, so, some of the material from Rush didn't excite me as much and didn't felt like it was starting to age out in terms of like what a Mastodon record could bring to the table. And I mean, that doesn't like diminish the achievements of that band in any in any way but it's uh it'll be interesting to see you know once uh crack the sky has aged you know the same as like 2112 by rush it'll be interesting to see if it's uh if it's still as exciting or if there's any new stuff but some other aspects that i wanted to talk about that i think are worthwhile for listeners who are you know considering whether or not to give this album a go and I think that it can contribute to the timelessness as well is that the album has a really amazing um, album cover. And I, you know, I think that uh, artwork is obviously important to any album, but to a prog album, it's like, I feel it's one of those things that draws you in and keeps you, keeps you invested. And especially if it ties into the lore or the concept of the album um, and the, the artwork was by um, Paul Romano, who um, has done artwork for, I think, five Mastodon records. Oh, so nice. he's quite a close collaborator of the band. And I'm a really um, big fan of his style. Like, I even have um, some of his artwork, like, tattooed on me. Oh, cool. Um, but, yeah, he's a really awesome artist and his work kind of, like, has quite a lot of realism in it, but it also has, like, quite a lot of that fantastical side into it which for me is like a really interesting combination of things that look realistic but also have that supernatural kind of edge to it and um the cover has these like two like ethereal czars like russian czars they're like these spirits and they're mirrors of each other and they're they're standing on either side of the cover holding these orbs of energy and then like in the center is like a bear and then in the background is like this this portal like going into another dimension so it's just <laughs> one of those covers that's really visually striking and when you see it you're very interested and curious to be like what's this all about yeah that's cool i like that anything else you want to add about interesting aspects of the album yeah for sure well i think um you know one of the great hallmarks of of prog whether it's prog rock or prog metal is like the concept and you know a lot of, mm, of uh, prog records are concept albums and yeah I think well, I've been talking about hallmarks of a great prog record obviously I started out saying the music is really great and then the artwork is really great and then the concept to me is also very interesting um, and I guess in some ways great and the way that all three of them tie together like is what creates a really um awesome package and uh, gives an album that lifespan where you want to delve back into it and go back into that world and and wonder what it all means so the concept of the record is um has like a protagonist who is a paraplegic person and the only way that they can like escape the physical confines of, of like their life is by astral traveling 
and this character like is is astral traveling and they fly too close to the sun and like the bond between their their astral spirit and their body is broken and they get sucked into a wormhole into another dimension and then basically like in like because the wormhole can I guess in science fiction and stuff creates imbalances with with space time Mm. the character like ends up being drawn into the body of Rasputin in in Tsarist Russia (laughs) while while this uh this divination is um being um being done and then so uh in this story uh then the czar like uh is assassinated and then rasputin and the soul of this this man go through another wormhole to try and get home and then they're like confronted by the devil um and so like the like the big climactic moment of the album is is like a confrontation with satan himself and then it's kind of open-ended where like you don't really know like whether this poor man like makes it back to his body or if he's just left like traveling through the ether. And that's a prog album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's the best thing I've ever heard. You can't put this stuff in books because people will be like, this is ridiculous, but you can put it in lyrics and you can put it in music and it flies. That's I think good. with art with art you know there's ridiculous books there's ridiculous music and there's ridiculous films and I guess if you if you want to go out there and find them you can (laughs) which is which is cool but to me that um the concept was just really interesting and uh you know when I heard about it I really wanted to you know know how how it's been translated into music and the album really encapsulates that sense of adventure and you really feel like you're on the journey with this character and being sucked through space and time and seeing the devil and um yeah Yeah. it's a it's an awesome experience great for you know imaginative dreamers you know uh (laughs) yeah yeah who who wants some exciting uh fodder for their mind's eye (laughs) yes I think this leads perfectly into my last question. What are my listening notes? How should I listen to this album? What should I be doing? You said before, um, a long drive? Dri- a drive is good, but I feel like it's like w- once you know whether you like it or not, it's probably best to decide to put it on in the car. I would say just like in a nice environment, like maybe in a cozy living room with some candles lit or something like that, the lights like dim down a bit low, just getting maybe some incense, get a bit of a mystical groove going on. But I I do have a funny story about one time listening to this album with a bunch of friends and it was in high school and our mate, we're at our mate's place and his parents had like a a barn out the back. He was in the Adelaide Hills. And so we, you had to like go up this ladder into the barn and we're all there like hanging out, obviously doing what, uh, delinquent young teens do and uh, <laughs> listening to this epic album and um, someone I can't remember if it was me or not but someone like accidentally like rested like a lit cigarette like on top of a cigarette lighter and we were listening to this album in the dark <gasps> and then like this lighter just exploded into like a burst of flames. And it was while we were listening to like the song where the character confronts Satan. Oh um, and so it just freaked us out so much until we realized what happened. But so, yeah, there was a, a 
funny memory of that song and definitely a lesson learned never rest a lit cigarette on on a lighter always <laughs> rest it in an, in an ashtray where they belong <laughs> <laughs> that's so good oh my gosh perfect timing you'll never forget that ever uh anything else to add before we wrap it up yeah, I, I think I've, you know, talked a bit about the drums and talked about the concept and some of the production, um, but the guitar work is awesome, like super cool riffs and awesome harmonies. Uh, Macedon are really known for their guitar harmonies and I said the vocal performances are really cool as well. So, yeah, just if you, you know, enjoy cool guitar riffs and awesome proggy drumming and really long adventurous songs then I definitely recommend checking this album out I'm pretty sure like you can pick it up on vinyl as well and they have a lot of cool colors and stuff like that and if you are interested more in the album I think they've got like some making of documentaries and track by track commentaries and stuff that you can find online there's a lot of um a lot of stuff out there on the web if you want to delve into this album oh hell yes I definitely will Oh, all right. I love it. There we have it. The one prog album that Jonty thinks that you and I should listen to is Crack the Sky by Mastodon. Jonty, thank you so much for your wisdom. I can't wait to listen to it from your point of view. And thanks so much for having me. I'm humbled to be on the show and it, you know, it saves me from telling the same stuff to some random <laughs> at the pub who doesn't want to hear it. So... <laughs> I only take uh, communications through interdimensional wormholes via the body of Rasputin. <laughs>